go ahead and find your Bibles. We're going to be in Genesis again. And uh, find Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. We'll be reading, to begin with anyway, the first nine verses. Uh, We'll look at much of this chapter as time allows this morning and see what God has to say to each of us through His Spirit and His Word. You found your place there, Genesis. Remember, we're talking about a fresh start this morning, a new direction for Isaac, and we'll look at each one of the patriarchs in a moment in their life where something happened that seemed to bring about a fresh start in their life. And so last week, we looked at the call of Abraham and that Abrahamic covenant and a new destiny for Abraham and his family that would be passed on to Isaac. But we'll think in terms this morning of marriage and a new direction for Isaac. And also uh, see a a major role that Abraham and his servant, and I will argue this morning that the Holy Spirit of God played in this process. Abraham was now old, verse 1 here, getting on in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household who managed all he owned, place your hand under my thigh. Now, that may seem strange to you, but that was a a unique way for the Jewish people, the way they would make in in these days of antiquity, a way they would make a covenant with somebody uh, taking hold of the thigh. And he says, I will have you swear by the Lord God of heaven and God of earth that you will not take a wife or my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but will go to my land and my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land. Should I have your son go back and, uh, to the land that you came from? Abraham answered, make sure that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you, and you can take a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to follow you, Then you are free from this oath to me, but don't let my son go back there. So the servant placed his hand under his master Abraham's thigh and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Father, I pray that as we look at this introduction of Isaac and Rebekah as a married couple, a family through whom you would continue your promises to Abraham ultimately through whom the messianic hope would come. Lord, that we would be reminded that you call us at seasons in life to a new direction. And Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work helping put things in place and that we can stop and trust you in that process and see your great provision for us as our Heavenly Father. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Now give us clarity, give us understanding, Lord, and empower us to live by these principles, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I have to confess, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Sandlot, the movie with the uh, more catchphrases that have been remembered than I've been told any other movie that there ever was. Sandlot had more catchphrases like, uh, you're killing me, Smalls. Are you familiar with that one? Now, I would encourage you parents, if you're going to watch this, uh, 
see the edited version because these boys sometimes can, can teach some things that you wouldn't necessarily want to teach the next generation, but, but you've probably seen it on uh, your television before, you know, and you, you find yourself walking away whenever you use the word forever saying forever like that. And so those catchphrases stick with us, but there was one phrase that didn't quite get picked up on by most people as much as it was picked up on certainly by me. And that's when Timmy Timmons, right, he, the, uh, the boy who had the little brother who repeated everything that he said, after the destruction of some vacuum cleaners that they were trying to use to suck that baseball with Babe Ruth's autograph in it back out of the yard where the mean dog was, and uh, things went all wrong when the pipe got squeezed and the vacuum cleaners blew up and dust went everywhere as he comes down from the treehouse as they're wondering if he survived covered in dust. He makes this statement, we've been going about this all wrong. Now, consequently, his next idea wasn't much better, or at least it didn't work much better, but he at least acknowledged something here is not working. There was a need uh, for a change in direction here. Now, last week we saw Abraham had a new destiny. This week we'll see Isaac through his marriage to Rebecca. Now, there's going to be kind of a new direction in life. I was still fulfilling the same covenant, but now it's going to include Rebecca, and God's going to bring her into his story in a beautiful way as we learn by looking at this to walk in step with the Spirit of God. Next week we'll get into Jacob and see the importance of a new disposition, and then we'll close out in a couple of weeks by looking at Joseph and the fact that he had a new dream. And so the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah is what we're looking at here in chapter 24 this morning. I believe that this story remarkably, if not intentionally by God and his spirit as the word was inspired and the story literally took place in history, that it pictures God's redemptive plan, especially picturing the gospel. It offers some key insights, not only to understanding the gospel, but how the story of the gospel kind of permeates everything that we experience in life or we receive when we receive salvation, a new direction in life. Everything's going to change as we become the bride of Christ preparing for the bridegroom. And so this passage offers some key insights for a fresh start, a new direction in life, something we might refer to as God's ways instead of our ways. You know, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, His ways are not our ways, declares the Lord, nor His thoughts are our thoughts. Why? Because His ways are much higher than our ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are higher than our ways, right? His thoughts and His ways are something that we could only grasp if he so reveals and enables us to grasp his ways. And so we see a revelation of God's ways in this giving of a new direction. We see a passage that is typological. Now, by typology, I'm referring to the fact that in the Old Testament, there are certain types, pictures of the gospel, pictures of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that we can say that gives us a great understanding of how God is at work. When you think about it, when the New Testament apostles were preaching and teaching the Word, what was the Word that they had had up until that point? Well, the Holy Spirit was revealing the Scriptures to them, the New Testament Scriptures, but before they were recorded and pulled together, the Word that they were expounding concerning the Gospel was the Old Testament because the Old Testament contained 
the gospel of Jesus Christ from Genesis all the way to Malachi, pictures and prophecies of the gospel. This is one of those pictures, I believe. And so God's ways remain somewhat mysterious to us, and yet at the same time become increasingly clear. (laughs) Even in this marriage, and marriage has always been intended to be that for us, a picture and a mystery all wrapped in one in Ephesians chapter 5, 32, when uh, Paul is explaining how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and the wife is to respect the husband. And, and you see that relationship, the bride and the bridegroom, picturing the covenant love between Christ as the church. Paul says in verse 32, that this, I'm telling you a mystery here. And so there's something mysterious. And so as we look at God's ways, I want us to see some somewhat paradoxical principles, meaning that it, it could be almost two um, seemingly contradictory statements coming true in one principle. And so the first one I'm going to give you this morning is this. God's ways are sovereign while remaining spontaneous to us. God's ways are sovereign while remaining spontaneous to us. We looked at these first nine verses a moment ago. He started off by saying Abraham was now old. He was getting on in years. That's probably an understatement, right? to be advancing in years at this point. Abraham, at about 140 years of age, was starting to say, I want to see my son married, the son of promise. And and so he begins to make arrangements for this. And in this passage that we just read, Abraham pictures the father who wants there to be a bride for his son. Abraham, in so many ways, pictures our heavenly father. And so he has all of the blessings in store. He has the son. Remember, he was willing to sacrifice his son. And God gave us a great picture of Calvary there at Mount Moriah when he provided the sacrifice so that Abraham would not have to sacrifice his son. And yet, still we see the heart of the father willing to sacrifice the son. And Isaac, that son of promise, becomes a picture of Jesus to us in so many different ways. Interestingly, Moriah had to precede the coming of a bride just as Jesus had to go to a cross before he would ever receive the bride unto himself. He had to sacrifice himself. And then we see a servant, an unnamed servant in this passage that's possibly Eliezer of Damascus because we see that he's kind of functioning as Abraham's chief servant up until this point, so possibly, but he's unnamed in chapter 24, so we don't know that for sure. And some scholars say that in typological literature in the Old Testament, when it's picturing the Holy Spirit, that the one representing the Holy Spirit often remains unnamed. And so we're not given the name of this servant who pictures the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he's going to send the Holy Spirit. What does he say? He says, I want you to make a covenant with me. I want you to make a promise with me. In verse 3, he says, And I will have you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the earth, that you will not take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. It's, it's almost as if Abraham is saying, Look, I've seen the Canaanite women around here, and they don't think like we think, they don't believe what we believe, and my son is not to be unequally yoked with these Canaanites, and so I want you to go back. 
and I want you to go to the land of my family, and I want you to find a wife, verse 4, he says, for my son Isaac. Just as the Holy Spirit is preparing a bride for the bridegroom, Jesus. Just as he has come to woo us, to call us to trust in the gospel. And just as the Holy Spirit would shine a light on Jesus, this servant was to go, not for himself, but he was to go to find a bride for Isaac. J.I. Packer, speaking of the Holy Spirit being of a floodlight on the Son, Jesus, glorifying the Son, wrote these words. He says, it is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder onto Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message to us is never look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his word. Go to him and have life. Go to him and taste his gift of joy and peace. The Spirit, we might say, Packer goes on to write, is the matchmaker, the celestial marriage broker, whose role it is to bring us to Christ, to get, or bring us and Christ together, and ensure that we stay together. Abraham's actions remind us that the Father is sovereign and always at work. And the Holy Spirit's work in the here and now remind us that God is a spontaneous God and we need to be sensitive and obedient. We need to learn to walk in step with the Spirit, believing that the Holy Spirit is going to glorify Jesus Christ and bring us to a place of a new direction in life where he will bring us closer to Jesus. And so that's the goal, to take Jesus by the hand and to walk with him. So, yes, we believe in the eternal sovereign God of this universe. And at the same time, we know we live in the nasty here and now. And we need that God to speak to us and often spontaneously right where we're at through his word, by his spirit. And so his spirit, the Holy Spirit, inspired the gospel, the good news like this servant would take. And we'll see in a few moments in, in the further parts of this chapter, the Holy Spirit would say, hey, I've got some good news for you. But we need to learn to walk in the Spirit and be sensitive to the Spirit who is pointing us to Jesus and calling us to a response and giving us a new direction, redirecting our lives into a walk with Jesus Christ. Our callings and our conviction will guide us and sometimes not always revealing what's around the corner but giving us what we need in those moments. A sovereign God and free and responsible agents, how does all that work together? I can't get my mind around it, this side of heaven. But I know that we serve a sovereign God who has a wonderful plan of redemption for humanity, and he has sovereignly made us free and responsible agents to walk in step with the Spirit, to respond. The word responsible, response able, able to respond to what the Holy Spirit is showing us and now he has given us his word inspired by the Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit brings about what we call illumination. He helps us to understand his word and empowers and enables us to live it out in our lives on a daily basis. And we don't have to overcomplicate it. It's much like this. If the Holy Spirit is glorifying Jesus Christ, 
the new direction in your life is not so much you saying, well, God, show me everything that it's going to look like in the future, but it's God saying, take me by the hand and walk with me. A relationship with God is, is taking Jesus by the hand and saying, you are sovereign, and you're working in, in what seems to be spontaneous ways for me this side of heaven, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to enjoy the journey, good times and bad. I love what Alison Krauss sings, this song written by Ira Stanfield. It says, I don't worry over the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I walk beside him, for he knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. And so we take him by the hand and we walk with him in the moment to whatever new directions he brings in our lives. Another thing we learn from this story that so beautifully pictures the gospel is that God's ways are strategic while containing surprises for us. Now, that sounds very closely related to what we just said, right? God is sovereign, but he's also strategic. He's strategically working just as the father Abraham said to his servant, I've got a plan. I want you to work that plan. But then there were going to be some beautiful surprises along the way and to those to whom the plan would come. And so let's look at that strategy as you start in verse 10. It says, the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed with all kinds of his master's goods in hand. Then he set out for the town of Nahor, Adram, Naharun. I'll get Brother Joel here this morning to pronounce that better for me a little bit later. He made the camels kneel beside a well of water outside the town at evening. This was the time when the women went out to draw water. Lord, God of my master, he prayed, speaking of Abraham's master, grant me success today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. I am standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl, he kind of puts out a fleece here, doesn't he? Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink. And who responds, drink, I'll water your camels also. Now that would have been quite a task. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, coming with a jug on her shoulder. Now the girl was very beautiful, a young woman who had not known a man intimately. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me have a little water from your jug. She replied, drink, my Lord. She quickly lowered her jug to her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll also, here's that fleece, <laughs> putting out that fleece, here's that answer that he was looking for, I'll also draw water for your camels until they have had enough to drink. She quickly emptied her jug into the trough and hurried to the well again to draw water she drew water for all of his camels. Now, some have said that the camels would likely at least drink five gallons of water. If there were 10 camels, that's 50 gallons of water. Now, that sounds like some of you know what chores are, right? 
That sounds like quite a chore. If you've ever gone to the well to draw water, he, she's drawing 50 gallons probably, while the man silently watched her to see whether or not the Lord had made his journey a success. Time would tell, right? Verse 22, after the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel, and for her wrist, two bracelets weighing 10 shekels of gold. Whose daughter are you? <laughs> he asked. Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She also said to him, we have plenty of straw and feed and a place to spend the night. And then the man bowed down, worshiped the Lord, and said, praise the Lord. The God of my master Abraham, who, was, who has not withheld his kindness and faithfulness from my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. As he represented the Holy Spirit, he often pictures for us even what it means to walk in. Step with the Holy Spirit in everything that he set out to do. God was sovereignly at work bringing all things about in his perfect timing. He had a strategy. But he didn't take human response out of the equation. And so there are some delightful surprises as he experiences that. And now he has found that bride just as the Holy Spirit has come into the world to call us through the word and through those who would preach and proclaim the gospel and those who would share it with those neighbors, nations, the next generation. The Holy Spirit is preparing and sanctifying a bride, calling us into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, saying, God has so much more for you than this world has to offer. And it would become a beautiful picture here of that gospel. This, this marriage would be that. John Phillips says, woven into the tapestry of the fabric of that very human story, we see golden threads of another far greater story. We see the coming of the Spirit of God into the world with a great mission to win and woo a heart here and a heart there. One at a time, right? Reach one. Reach a heart at a time here and there to the heavens beloved. Only occasionally does he speak of himself. His great work is to make much of the Son and to tell of the Father and His wondrous ways. His great task is to seek out those who will become the bride of Christ. Oh, but I'm not worthy to be the bride of Christ, the perfect Lord. The Holy Spirit is making us more like Him as we walk in cooperation with the Spirit each day. Phillips goes on to say how wonderfully he takes advantage of life's ordinary circumstances, using them to further his quest. God is making the ordinary the extraordinary. He never forces, never violates the human will, never overwhelms, never uses weird and uncanny means to ravish the soul. Ordinary things happen. A visit here, a chance meeting there, an unexpected conversation. A book passed on by a friend, and all the time the Spirit of God is at work. Until at last the gospel is presented and the hour of decision dawns, 
It was the servant's way with Rebecca, and it is the spirit's way with the soul. Aren't you glad that God worked and wooed you through his spirit to draw you to himself? God's ways are strategic in containing surprises along the way for us. Just as there's a scarlet thread of redemption that continues from Abraham with the Israelites in Egypt, out of Egypt, into the season of the judges and the kings and the prophets, magnified in the gospel, pointing to it all along when Jesus comes and lives a sinless life and dies on a cross in your place and rises victorious from the grave. And then Jesus ascends to the Father and sends the Holy Spirit as his servant into the world. Yes, fully God, but God the Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus Christ, pointing us to the bridegroom, saying, come and be a part of this beautiful wedding day. Not just in salvation now, but in a way of life, a strategic plan for your life full of surprises along the way. You know, one of the cool things about marriage, I remember reading a book by Ed Young Sr. called Romancing the Home. <laughs> Man, we all should read that one, right? Romancing the Home. It came out not long after the movie Romancing the Stone, so it was kind of a wordplay on that, but Romancing the Home, he, he gave some great, great advice, insight on how we can keep romance alive in the home. And I remember Ed Young specifically talking about how that not only did he fall in love with his wife, but he fell in love again and again and again. Sometimes because maybe the relationship had grown cold and stale, and so there was a new courtship and a new falling in love. Sometimes falling to a deeper place in love with his wife. Saying that's why we don't need to uh, get caught up in things like uh, those distractions that would cause us to have an affair or anything like that. He says, if you're looking for something new and fresh, fall in love with your wife all over again. Now, here's the cool thing about your relationship as the bride of Christ is that by the Holy Spirit, you can fall in love with Jesus again and again and again. You can grow to greater and deeper depths of love in your relationship with Jesus Christ, loving him more tomorrow than you do today because his mercies are new every morning and the riches of Christ are unsearchable that Paul said he was preaching to the church at Ephesus. Yes, we need salvation, but this morning some of us need a new direction and a fresh start. And I want to challenge you, start by renewing your first love. Remember Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, the church at Ephesus? You've lost your first love. You've lost that great passion for Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, it's not what it used to be, I've got good news for you right here and right now. You can renew that love, embrace a new direction, and grow to a deeper place in your walk with Jesus. The Spirit of God, I believe, is wooing us toward that day in and day out. And finally, I want you to see this morning about God's ways. His ways are satisfying while presenting spiritual challenges along the way. See, everything was not going to be easy. And sometimes other things could become of greater importance. Look at verse 29. This is, well, we'll go back to verse 28 in chapter 24. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother. Now, if you stopped with just those words, we would have no clue where this story is going to lead, right? Boy, did she have a brother. 
Rebekah had a brother named Laban. And Laban ran out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he had heard his sister Rebekah's words, the man said this to me. He went to the man. He was standing there by the camels at the spring. Laban said, come, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And so the man came to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and feed were given to the camels. And water was brought to wash his feet and the feet of the men with him. While all of the time Rebecca's thinking, I can't wait to meet this man, Isaac, that you're talking about, it seems like all that her brother could focus on were the riches, <laughs> were the blessings and opportunities that might come his way through this opportunity for his sister. Her brother's focus doesn't seem to be on the father and the son or the servant or even his sister so much as on all these rewards. The challenge for us today is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I am so grateful that out of the overflow of my relationship with Jesus Christ, there is an eternity in a place called heaven. I am so grateful that there are blessings immeasurable this side of heaven, and I'm so grateful that all of that, being a uh, joint heir with the King of Kings, comes with all kinds of blessings in my life. But the focus is not to be on the blessings, but on the giver of the blessings, Jesus himself. We're to be more excited in this new direction about walking with Jesus and knowing him than just getting in on what he has in store for us. Now, Rebecca seemed to respond in a way that, with anticipation, looked forward to what would be in place. Now, the servant kind of catches her family up to speed, right? Verses 34 and following, we won't read all of those this morning, but the servant shares with them everything that we've just read and experienced. Let me kind of recap the story. The servant says, here's what happened. You won't believe this. Man, I've kind of put out the, the fleece. I, I was asking for a side, and here was a side. I made it real difficult because this was going to have to be a young lady who would go back to the well and feed the ten camels. And, and sure enough, everything that I'd asked for, for God to confirm this, that's exactly what she did. And I believe she's the one. And then to kind of hear of her roots and and. Abraham's roots and Isaac's roots, it just seems like, wow, God is making it very certain. And even after hearing all that, the, the, the family was willing to let her go, but they were a little bit reluctant. They were, they were wanting to hold her back just a little bit. If you look down to verse 58, it says, they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent, her, sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse and Abram's servant and his men. They, they blessed her. They said, our sister, may, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. But then they would try to talk her into, but wait a minute, hang around with us a little bit longer. Verse 61, Rebecca and her young women got up, mounted the camels. They followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac was returning from Ber Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev region. In the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field. And looking up, he saw the camels coming. Rebekah looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she got down from her camel. 
She saw him, and now she's ready to meet him. Do we have anybody here who would honestly say, for me and my wife, it was love at first sight? Just kind of hold up your hand. Love at first sight. Some of you are like, eh, man, what, what is she going to say? You know, right? So, some of us, you know, it takes a little while. And, and of course, there's going to be a process, a, a get to know me moment or season here. But, but she's about to see the man she's going to marry. I, we might remember when, when it kind of clicked. Tina and I were uh, communicating back and forth the other day. If you ever pick up my phone and just read text messages, just a warning, if you read the messages between me and Tina, you might catch some romantic surprises along the way. But we were texting, and, and something that had happened kind of reminded us of a party that we were at separately. Uh, she was dating somebody else, and I was dating somebody else. But at that party, uh, we began to see each other. I would see her, and then she would see me, and we both, unknowingly about the other, would kind of wish that, man, you know, I'm bored with this person. I wish I, you know, that's what I was saying. I'm bored with this young lady. I wish I were with Tina tonight. And she was kind of saying the same thing. This dude is not for me. Robbie's the one for me. And then at one moment during the party, we actually made eye contact. And when we looked at each other, there was this kind of like, I know moment. And so it wasn't long before those old relationships were history. And uh, Tina and I had started that courtship process again. I don't know if this was one of those I know moments but sometimes God brings those into your life where you're just like, wow, I see what God is up to. And it's so much more than what I had in mind. Rebecca looked up. She saw him. She asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? The servant answered, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done, and Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and took Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. The old season of heartache and heartbreak was transitioning. Now, some of you have gone through grief and loss and difficult times in life, and you're wondering, can there be a new direction? Can there be a new day? I promise you, God has something around the corner for you. He has those surprises, those spontaneous moments. And he wants to do in us and for us what we could never do for ourselves. But Rebecca had to receive this by faith. Just as when the Holy Spirit wooed you to faith in Christ, you had to say, yes, I believe because the consummation of the wedding will not be until Jesus comes again and he calls us home. And so when God's doing something new and fresh in our life, we have to respond by faith. A special ed teacher named Ron Butterfield was teaching a group of special needs kids. And he believed in these kids. He said, you know, a lot of people talk about what they can't do, and that's why I'm teaching this class, because of what they can't do. He says, I I'm learning that some of them have quite advanced technological skills and other things. He says, I'm going to show them what they can do. And he began to teach these kids how to build furniture and how to repair appliances, capitalizing on, on their technical mind, and, and the kids were growing in confidence till one day, little Bobby shows up at school, and in one hand, he's carrying a broken old toaster. When I have a broken old toaster, I just, it's time to throw it out, right? In one hand, he's carrying a broken old toaster. The cool thing that this teacher was blown away by was that in the other hand, he was carrying a loaf of bread. 
That's trusting that, man, we're about to do something. That's believing, right? And I pray that in your response to the Spirit's leadership in your life, your response to whatever that new direction may be, for anyone who's never trusted Christ, it needs to start by becoming a new creation in Him. That's your fresh start. But for all of us, there's a fresh start again and again and again. And faith is saying, I believe what the Spirit is wooing me to. I'm trusting Him in this. I may not be worthy. I may not deserve it. But it's not about me. It's about Him. And when it's all about Him, when the Holy Spirit is magnifying Him, Jesus, the bridegroom, then all frustration and fear begins to fade away. And faith emerges believing God that the best is in store for us. Would you bow your heads this morning?